So, so good to be with you all. A couple of announcements before we get into our text this morning. First of all, our marriage retreat is coming up. There is a table out in the foyer. Sean and others who are affiliated with the marriage retreat would love to touch base with you this morning. Even if you don't plan on going, please stop by and pray over them. Uh, get some additional information. You might be able to pass it along to a neighbor, to a coworker, or a friend. Uh, so it'll be worth uh, your time stopping out there as we dismiss this morning. Also, if you're looking for a small group, we have small group luncheon today in the parlor. People have brought tons and tons of food. Uh, if it doesn't, we have so many people that come, we can't eat it all. It's okay. We'll try to multiply it as best we can. So just uh, come on over. If you, if you haven't gotten plugged into a small group, you want to know more about our small group ministry, please, please go to the parlor after our worship assembly this morning. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation before where you were tested? And it would have really been good when you were tested, I'm talking about like in a classroom setting, to have really paid attention to what the teacher said. You ever been in a situation like that before? You're looking at the answer or the, the space for the answer, your mind's kind of going blank. I think we talked about this. Well, as we're looking at our text today, our master teacher, Jesus, is preparing us for a time of testing. He's guaranteed us in the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning especially in verses 11 and 12, that as believers, as followers, as disciples of Jesus, you're going to be tested. It's going to happen. I did a little research this past week on answers that we give to test, seemingly sometimes how we respond under pressure or when we don't know the answer. I want to share a couple of these with you. What ended in 19, or 1896, 1895? That was uh, one of the responses that was given by a child. To one of the tests, I think the teacher was looking for the Civil War. I'm not sure, but I think that was the answer they were after. Also, like this one, this is where discerning commas is really good. Write less than or greater than. They chose to go with or for every response. I thought that was pretty creative, actually. You see how that works there, right? This is also really good. To change centimeters to meters, you take out the centi. Isn't that great? Are you guys getting some good ideas for your classes of how to respond? So you guys over here, we're all good, right? This may be my favorite of all. Where was the American Declaration of Independence signed at the bottom? That's a great, <laughs> a great answer. So think back to the opening section of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has laid down these principles of kingdom living, principles he has shared with his followers, principles that come with a guarantee. You live into this, you are going to be tested. I'm not attempting, uh, attempting to oversimplify the words of Jesus this morning, but in a sense, this section is set to help us realize we got to pay close attention to our teacher. And this is not about report cards or GPAs or perfect attendance or anything like that. It's about how we live. Living as salt and light people, kingdom people, in a world that's a lot of times interested in things that are tasteless and in living in darkness, well, Jesus is calling us to something higher here. The tests of life are coming, so what do we need to know to be ready? We need to know what true discipleship looks like. And so Jesus spells out in this section six postures of the heart that help us know what living out the Christ life is like. Last Sunday, we talked about two of those 
heart postures. The first was understanding how destructive, unchecked anger can be and how much we miss the mark when we forget to be reconcilers and choose instead to think of other people as less than. The second heart posture is being completely timid, committed to God's purposes for our marriages, so committed that we don't even look lustfully at others. So today we look at two more of these six heart postures as we read Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 37. If you've got your Bible, please follow along. If not, you can follow along on screen. As you're getting your Bibles ready, I want you to keep something in mind. This isn't feel-good teaching. This is, this is open-heart surgery, spiritually speaking. I mean, Jesus is laying it all back here. And we're totally exposed. He's calling his followers to abandon the rule-keeping hypocrisy of the Pharisees and to embrace a heart that's driven by a deep love for God. And that leads to a pretty profound outcome. That's deep love for others. Jesus has just set very, very high expectations regarding purity in marriage. And now he makes a, a very subtle shift as he addresses faithfulness in marriage. And this is what he says. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman, I think we can put in parentheses here like this, in this situation, commits adultery. And I really wish that we could just make this so simple. I wish that we could make this so easy. You know, maybe even if we had the ability to see it through the eyes of a child. One more test question I stumbled across. How would you make a marriage work? Tell your wife she looks pretty even if she looks like a dump truck. I thought... <laughs> You know, what a great answer, right? Maybe. Um, but it's, it's just not that simple. This is, this is one of those texts. Again, it's, it's open-heart surgery text. Jesus is, is just kind of stripping away all of this, this worldliness that has crept in to the marriage relationship and to this, this wonderful covenant dynamic that God calls men and He calls women to live into. It's not the only place that Jesus teaches on this. There's actually an expanded teaching in Matthew chapter 19. But in order to understand the Matthew 5 passage, we have to understand the context within which it is set. Jesus is confronting those who are so preoccupied with observing the law that they risk missing his true identity as Messiah. And they also risk keeping a heel on women, keeping them oppressed, keeping them pushed down. But Jesus calls for an elevation. He calls for taking them out of disenfranchisement and putting them in a place of honor, particularly in the marriage context. When Jesus addresses the first two heart postures in this section, the one that we talked about last Sunday, deep-seated anger and adultery. He draws from the sixth and seventh of the Ten Commandments. 
But as he teaches on these verses that we just read, he goes to a, a regulatory section from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And he's quoting not just the passage, he's, he's alluding to the passage, but what he's, what he's really focusing on, it's, it's more of a report about what the Pharisees, what they inferred, they and the scribes, what they inferred from the Deuteronomy text. And namely, what they inferred was that a, a man could divorce a woman basically for any reason that he wanted. In some cases, a man could divorce his wife if, if the meal that she prepared for him wasn't up to par. Boy, had they absolutely lost sight of God's intentions for this covenant relationship called marriage. Jesus flips their chief concerns here, taking the spotlight off of rules and regulations, which actually became more of a smokescreen to do whatever they wanted. And he goes right to matters of the heart. Divorce was pretty widespread in the ancient world, much like it is in our culture today. God created some regulations through the Mosaic Law that was designed to accomplish a few things. He wanted to protect the sanctity of marriage. That was one of the reasons that God wrote these words from indecency that can creep in. He wanted to protect the, the woman from a husband who might simply send her away without any cause. And another reason was to actually give her written proof of the le legitimacy of why this relationship had dissolved. But it so often happens with Scripture. Legalism crept in. And they began to interpret and, and debate this text, especially defining indecency to have a much broader meaning that was intended. Let's just go ahead and look quickly at the first verse in Deuteronomy 24. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, well, there's all kinds of principles that Jesus is bringing into play here as he's, as he's echoing some of the original intentions of this text versus what they had made it. And I just want to point out a handful of things here that at least get my attention as I'm trying to attempt to understand the greater truths that Jesus wants us to mine from this text. The first is this, that Jesus is calling for a return to God's original design from marriage. Quite frankly, he's saying here to the scribes and the Pharisees, you know what, folks, you, you've really made a mess of this. You're trying so hard to, to find hoops to jump through to satisfy your, your desires or your, your, your reasons to, to be unfaithful or, 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 or to get what you want to be very selfish in the marriage relationship. This is a call. I want you to come back to the marriages that my father has created for you to have that, that lifelong faithfulness, that lifelong commitment to one another. I also think that Jesus is calling here husbands in particular to honor their wives. She is a cherished treasure for you, husbands. Love her, adore her, take care of her, put her first. We talked about this several weeks ago when we talked about laying down our lives for one another language, and I think that's exactly what Jesus is spelling out here. It's a laying down your life type of love, husbands, to wives. It's a, it's a laying down your life type of commitment that we are making to one another. 
And the principles here are not just for husbands, although they seem to be the ones, at least in this particular case, who were taking most advantage of these loopholes in the law. The principles apply to all of us, but particularly men. We've got to honor our wives. We've got to take care of them. We've got to stay committed to them faithfully in marriage. It seems in some ways that Jesus kind of changes direction, but not really. If we'll continue with the reading, we're going to see how beautifully this dovetails together. In Matthew 5.33, he says, Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, you can't make even one hair white or black, parentheses in my case, or one grow. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Again, it looks like Jesus changes the subject here, but the truth is he continues pressing upon his disciples what true discipleship looks like. Discipleship as God intended it versus what the legalist had made it. God intends lifelong faithfulness in marriage. In addition, God intends that we simply speak truth without any need for oaths to give credibility to our words. Jesus doesn't abolish the functionality of rules and law-keeping. They serve as our boundary stones in many situations. But He knows kingdom life can never be fully realized by worshiping rules. He knows that. He knows that there's no power in regulations. He understands that true power comes from knowing and believing and trusting in Him. And that impacts the way that we live our lives as husbands, as wives, as truth tellers. There's two particular subjects that are in play here. The first is oaths. Oaths. And here's a definition of of an oath, I think, from a back then and probably even now understanding or perspective and invocations of God or some sacred object to undergird a statement or a promise. I've sometimes heard this text used uh, to prove that Christians should not take an oath in court, and I think that totally misses the point. I don't think that's what this text is about at all. Jesus himself took an oath when he swore before the, uh, the Sanhedrin in uh, Matthew 26. I think what he's saying here is, in your day-to-day dealings with people, in your day-to-day relationships, instead of taking oaths, instead of swearing by this or that, instead of, I swear to God, instead of, I swear on a book of Bibles, instead of making grand promises or making these verbal layers of complexity, Just tell the truth. Just be honest. 
It doesn't mean that we have to be mean about it, that we have to be in people's faces about it. And there's a fine line, right? Someone was honest with me this week. It was a great sermon last week. It was too long, but it was great. I think they went a little overboard myself, but sometimes we see one more test question, how we can be a little bit in somebody's face. Explain why you chose the organism you circled. What characteristics would cause it to be classified this way? Because I am not an idiot. It's a flower, okay? <laughs> Teachers, these are the students that just draw us back, right? Ones that make it all so worthwhile. What does being honest mean? It means that we live into our calling as disciples. People who tell the truth to one another in love. Our faithful lives confirm day after day, I am trustworthy. My words are reliable. So that's Jesus addressing just speak truth. There's another word that's used here, this word vows, and, and Jesus doesn't have the reaction to the vow language that he has to the oath language. A vow is a solemn promise to God of an action that is to be performed. And I think we make vows to God, right? When we enter the waters of baptism and we come up out of those waters, when we confess the name of Jesus, when we say to the world, I belong to God and I am his and, and I always will be, we're vowing to God to live faithfully for Him. We make vows to one another during wedding ceremonies as a way to, to make a promise. I will keep these promises to you in the sight of God and even by the witness of those who are around us. Kingdom people live into their vows. Another way to think about it is this. Kingdom people are are concerned, I think, more with action than they are with talk. It's one thing to say our vows. It's another thing to live them. I'm going to try a little experiment this morning. I um, did a internet search on this, and I, I didn't find this anywhere. I was actually kind of surprised. I thought that I would find this somewhere, some church maybe that had done this, but to my knowledge, we may be the first church that's ever done this, at least uh, based on what I found on the internet. Maybe this will go viral, as they say. Um, I'd like for us to consider making vows to one another as a church this morning. So I'm going to ask you to put this vow up on screen, and men, I want you to do a quick read-through on that. I would like for us as men of God to make a vow to the women of this church now, you don't have to participate in this if you feel uncomfortable doing it. Speak the words silently if you don't want to speak them verbally. But I would like to ask the men of this church to think about our sisters in this church, our sisters in the Lord, and I would like for us to make a commitment to them. And if you are willing, men, I would like to ask you to read this with me and make a commitment to this today as we speak these words to our sisters. Will you read with me? Sisters, we know you have been created in the image of God. We commit to you to honor you by treating you with dignity and respect as is fitting for a true disciple of Jesus.
Sisters, I'd like to ask you to take just a few moments and read the words on screen. And I'd like to ask you, if you are willing, to make a vow today to your brothers in the Lord. If you're uncomfortable speaking these words out loud, that's fine. You can speak them silently. But if you're willing to say them with me to make a a vow to your brothers in Christ, then I would invite you to do that as we read these words together. Brothers, we know you have been created in the image of God. We commit to honor uh, by, uh, sorry, we commit to you to honor you by treating you with dignity and respect as is fitting for a true disciple of Jesus. The same words, a little bit different. Take just a few moments to process. And if you're willing to speak these vows, let us speak all these words to one another. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. May this be a place where men and women are honored by treating one another with dignity and respect as is fitting for a true disciple of Jesus. Thank you. As powerful as those words and commitments are, the the true power in this church will be shown as we live them out. There's so much wisdom surrounding these texts and these, these types of promises that we make to one another. There's an older commentary on the Talmud, and that is the body of Jewish civil and ceremonial law. And one of the authors of this older um, commentary puts it this way as he reflects on um, the, the original intention of God for this teaching. Let your yes be righteous. Let your no be righteous. Isn't that beautiful? Let your yes be righteous. Let your no be righteous. So, when the times of testing come, how will disciples of Jesus withstand the storm? Well, Jesus gives us six heart postures here that teach us how to do that. We've looked at two of those today. I'd like to boil them down to their essence as we close. I think Jesus is saying this is what true discipleship looks like and this is our calling, brothers in particular, but for all of us, brothers and sisters, fight for your marriages. Fight for your marriage. If an intruder was trying to break into your house, would you say, well, come on in. I have a hunch the answer to that question is no. If someone were trying to break into your home, if they were trying to, t- to knock your door down and they were coming in with the intention to do harm to your wife, to your family, I have a hunch you would do whatever it took to try to stop them. It's just my hunch. But why do we open the door and allow so much garbage to come into our homes? Why do we let the floodgates of the internet just go wide open and and bring images and, and videos and language into our house that just kills the hearts of our families? Why do we stream movies into our homes that are just absolutely godless and have the very joy of our our hearts as a Christ follower? Why don't we allow that door to stay open? Why do we allow treating 
one another as objects. Why do we allow that door to stay open and allow that enemy to come in to our homes and wreak havoc? Fight for your marriage because marriage is worth fighting for. There was a time in my life when I did not fight for my marriage. It was one of the darkest times in my life. And it was destructive and it was, it was not a good place to be. I am an unfortunate expert on not doing what Jesus calls us to do here. Fortunately, I and we, Felina and I together, had people who knew what they were doing, who came around us and, and really helped us, me in particular, because I was the one that needed it the most, but, but helped us get the tools in our toolbox that we needed to move forward and heal as a couple so that our marriage could thrive. And if it weren't for those people, I don't think I'd be standing on this stage today. If you are at a place like that, fight for it, brothers. Fight for it. Reach out to someone. You don't have to carry this this shame of the pornography struggle with you like this great weight on your back. You don't have to carry the flirtatious behavior with this other woman at the office or some other content. You don't have to carry that weight on your... Let it all go. Trust in the Lord. Bring people alongside you who want what's best for you. Because I'm telling you right now, you leave it up to your own devices, you try to figure out on this, uh, this on your own, I don't think you make it. Fight for your marriage. They're worth fighting for. The second thing I think that we see here, the principle is just, it's what true discipleship looks like. And this is our calling. And it really dovetails beautifully with the fighting for your marriage piece. And it is just this church. Let's just, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. It is so easy to come to church and look churchy, right? It's so easy to dress it up. It's so easy to put the veneer over it. It's so easy to, to paint it and prop it up and make it look pretty. But all of us are struggling. Everybody. We've all got temptations. We all have difficult seasons in our life. I can pull into a shell and I can try to figure it out on my own or I can say, hey, I need some help. And here's the fascinating thing. I, I think, I know I thought this at one time in my life, but I'm talking about how we kind of process life. I sometimes think if you really knew how I was, you would reject me. And you want to know what I discovered when I bought that lie? When I actually started being a truth teller, you know what happened? It actually drew people to me. It didn't push people away. It drew them to me. And that laid the foundation for healing to begin. Be honest. Tell the truth. And if you don't even know where to begin, where would I even start? How would I make that happen? Folks, we've got a wonderful counseling center here. You can do this individually to start your journey, and then in, when the time is right, you can begin to do it as a couple those of you who are thinking about getting married, boy, start now figuring out how you're going to communicate, how you're going to pass these tests of life when they come your way. Those of you who are in over your head, I want you to know there are brothers here, there are sisters here who will love you and who will listen to you. My contact information is all over the place. You can text me, you can call me. If I'm not the right person to walk alongside you, we will find someone who is because marriages are worth fighting for. And one of the greatest weapons 
in our toolbox against the evil one, the destroyer, is the tool of honesty. And so I pray that we will be an honest people who are following Jesus to upside down living. We're going to share a song together now. I told you earlier this was not an easy text. It's not a feel-good text. This is open-heart surgery stuff. So if you need prayers this morning, you can turn to the person beside you and you can just say, hey, I I really need you to be praying about this for me. You can make your way down to the front. Some of our shepherds will be at the back. I'll be hanging around at the Welcome Center later. If you want to be baptized this morning and just have your sins washed away, trust in Jesus to lead you into the future that He is calling you. He is longing for you to live into. And praise God for that. We'll baptize you this morning. Church, let's, let's stand together. Let's sing.